Our scripture this morning is Psalm 46, and I'll read that from the New Living Translation this morning. <clears throat> Psalm 46, a mighty fortress is our God. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when the earthquake come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the water surge, interlude. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Interlude. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear in two. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Interlude. This psalm was one of Martin Luther's favorites and was the inspiration for us in which we just sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther is one of the key figures in church history, a man mightily used by God to bring reformation to the church. The year 1527 was the most difficult of his life. After 10 demanding years of leading the Reformation, a dizzy spell overcame him in the middle of a sermon on April the 22nd of that year, 1527, forcing him to stop preaching. Luther feared for his life. On July the 6th, while eating dinner with friends, he felt an acute buzzing in his ear and lay down, again convinced he was at the end of his life. He partially regained his strength, but a debilitating discouragement set in as a result. In addition, heart problems and severe intestinal complications escalated the pangs of death. Of this ordeal, Luther wrote, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain, and I still tremble. Completely abandoned by Christ, I labored under indecisions and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. And what was worse, the dreaded Black Plague had entered Germany and spread into Wittenberg. Many people fled, fearing for their lives. And yet Luther and his wife Katie remained, believing it was their duty to care 
for the sick and dying. Although Katie was pregnant with her second child, Luther's house was transformed into a hospital where he watched many friends die. With death surrounding him on every side, Luther was driven to seek refuge in God as never before, and Psalm 46 became the strength of his soul. And as a result, Luther expanded its truth into the hymn for which he is most famous, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Its majestic and thunderous proclamation of who of God who is all our all-sufficient refuge in our weakest moments has become the enduring symbol of the Reformation. Psalm 46 divides into three sections, and each section indicated by the closing word interlude or selah. Verses 3, 7, and 11, indicating a time to pause, to be calm, to think for a moment. Now this psalm is evidently a prophecy referring to the end times. Verse 2 speaks of earthquakes and mountains crumbling into the sea. Verse 3 talks about the mountains trembling and describes a tsunami. Evidently, there is a huge earthquake like the one prophesied in Zechariah chapter four, 14, verse 4, where we read, On that day the Lord's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. A half the mountain will, be, will move toward the north and half toward the south. And verse 10 says, all the land from Gaba, or Gabi, anyways, Gabi, north of Judah to Remen, south of Jerusalem, will become one vast plain. In Revelation chapter 16, verses 17 to 20, we read, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, It is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck, the worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon split into three sections, and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled. In Psalm 46, verse 4, we read that a river brings joy to the city of God. And this is a description of the millennial temple prophesied by Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 47, where a river flows from under God's temple eastward through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea making the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure, bringing it life, and fish will be caught there. Wherever the water of this river flows, there will be swarms of living things. And verse 12 says that fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, 
and there will always be fruit on their branches. And there will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food, and the leaves for healing. And that's Ezekiel chapter 47. This imagery parallels what we read in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. The imagery also calls to mind the Garden of Eden as a river flowed through the garden and was the source of four rivers of the earth. In each of these instances, we are picturing God with his people. The city of God is where the Most High dwells. God is within her. And Revelation 22 verse 3 says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. In Revelation 21 verse 3, And I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And here is this same river in this Psalm 46, bringing joy to the city of our God, the restored Jerusalem. And then in verse 6 we read, The nations are in chaos, and God's voice thunders against them. And from verse 9 it is evident that they were arraigned against him and his city with a mighty army. But in verse 8, God destroys them, and in verse 9 brings an end to war. In verse 10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. And God is actually saying, Stop, cease, stop your fighting and rebellion. God is honored over all the nations. He rules, He is in charge, not man. And this is the same end time scenario that Zechariah and John describe. <clears throat> In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, the Lord says, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be captured, the houses looted, the women ravished, and half of the population will be taken into captivity, and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. And then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 11 to 21, John says, I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. 
The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet of God for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and all of humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then John said, I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against one, the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the one riding the white horse and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. And then there is the picture of millennial peace, the rule of Jesus. And here in Psalm 46, verse 9, there is that image of the instruments of war being destroyed and being turned into agricultural implements in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4 where we read, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God, and there he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. This Psalm 46 parallels, closely parallels, what is portrayed in the last chapters of Zechariah and Revelation. It is prophesying end time events, a time of upheaval and trouble, and we are experiencing a foretaste of it right now. So what is the message for the people of God in the end times. It is a time when they encounter unsettling times, severe trouble, earthquakes, wars, desolation. So what can you do when you're faced with such things? Everyone else is running around in fear. 
but not the people of God. They go through it, but they are not afraid. They are confident, at peace, assured. Why? Because this psalm is all about God, is full of God. He is the reason. And therefore, as we study this psalm, we need to visualize the points the psalmist makes as he describes the help and the power of the Lord. And the psalm begins the first section, verses 1 to 3, by describing the confidence we have to rely upon the Lord. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is always ready to help us in times of trouble. And that means that God can be found when we need him. And this knowledge should give us a quiet confidence. And this is the reason the psalmist says in verse 2, we will not fear. Now this is a bold statement of confidence in God, inspired by the greatness of the Almighty. Regardless of what we the people of God face, we have no reason to fear. God is in control. And notice how strong of a confidence we are to have in the Lord in verses 2 and 3, where the psalmist describes the mountains and the waters with poetic language. He says, when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea is a picture of confusion represented as a momentous earthquake. The mountains, representing stability and continuity, seem to crumble into the sea. In verse 3, the oceans roar and foam, and the mountains tremble as the waters surge. As the mountains crash into the sea, the sea responds by a flooding tsunami. These images describe such a terrifying disaster that people would be put into a panic to see and hear about such events. But we are not to be shaken even when the world seems to be falling apart. It is when our lives feel like a natural disaster that we are to remember that God is for us and can be found in our time of trouble. Our world may collapse around us, but we will have confidence because of the Lord. And too often, when our world is falling apart, we think that God has left. But God is there. We simply need to run to the Lord. The first step <clears throat> to having this lack of fear in the face of disaster is that we have to put our full trust in God. The earth may quake, but your heart need not. In Psalm 29, verse 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. In this psalm, God is described as a powerful fortress and city. When enemies attacked in Old Testament days, the people who lived outside the city could not have confidence 
if they did not go inside the fortress. And we cannot stand outside the fortress of God and think we are safe because God is our fortress. We must go to the refuge for God's safety. And this means that you and I must believe. Is there, God is there to protect us so that we will turn to him. In the second section, verses four to seven, life inside the city is described. The streams of a certain river bring joy to the city of our God, which is the church. God dwells in the midst of that city, meaning that God the Father is the river flowing through, flowing through her center. God the Father is our river. And that's Jeremiah 2, verse 13. God the Son is our river. Zechariah 13, verse 1. God the Holy Spirit is our river. John 7, verse 38. The temple at the center of the city of God is the source of this river. And you'll find that in Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 12. This river is metaphorical and represents the flow of God's peace and strength into our lives during times of upheaval. And the word joy means to cause to rejoice. In the midst of turmoil, there is an underground river that flows into the heart of every true believer. And this is the joy that Jesus promised in John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. The one who indwells us and fills us with joy is the Most High. And this is one of the many names for God that specifically bears witness to his supreme authority and transcendent majesty. He is enthroned in the heights of heaven, ruling over all, and yet this God lives within us, giving us joy in the midst of our most difficult times. We have no other source of inner strength and joy but that which is found in him. And since God dwells within the city, verse 5, it cannot fall to any enemies or any troubles. God will protect it, and it says he will do it early. In verse 6, nations are in chaos, their kingdoms crumble, and the earth melts when the Lord lifts his voice. All of this was to be physically true under the old covenant. God was pictured as dwelling in the temple. And since God was with the people, the nation would not fall. But the people under the old covenant misunderstood, thinking that God dwelt with them regardless of their actions and motives. And Jeremiah identifies the problem in chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. 
Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. God was no longer with the people when they disobeyed him. And this was a picture for us to learn today about what we must do to have God abiding with us. God dwells within us, but this can only be when we are obedient to the Lord. The benefits are great when God is dwelling within us. The psalmist summarizes this section in verse 7. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. And this verse praises the Almighty, the commander of the heaven's armies, for choosing to live with his people. And who could protect his people better? God wants to be with us. As a child was born to Mary, the angel told her his name would be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The name, the Lord of Heaven's Armies, is a military term suggesting that God is with us as our warrior God. He is fighting for us. He is our fortress, our helper, our protector, and our stronghold. It speaks of armies engaged in war. It is the battle imagery that leads us into the final section, verses 8 to 11, where we read about the Lord's works and how he is victorious. Following the battle, the psalmist invited the reader in verse 8 to come and see the glorious works of the Lord, the destructions he had brought upon the earth. Verse 9 describes the Lord has gone out about the earth bringing an end to war. And notice that he has brought an end to war through war. The Lord defeated and disarmed his enemies and destroyed their weapons and they could attack no more. We know from the rest of the Bible that this is not the entire story. He is the suffering servant as well. He conquered sin and death by the, by the means of the humiliation of the cross. He rose from the dead three days later, establishing our justification. He also, 40 years after his death, burial and resurrection, destroyed Jerusalem with a rod of iron. And God's kingdom will always win the battle. And that was in the year 70 A.D., right? Guess we know that in the Romans? Okay. That was God doing that. In verses 10 and 11, <clears throat> excuse me, there is a shift in the speaker from the psalmist to the Lord himself, who gave a universal command to those who were in chaos. Be still and know that I am God. Stop getting out of sorts when things go wrong. And sometimes we can put our life into a tailspin because we are not putting our trust in God. We have forgotten that he is the one in charge. God rules the earth 
and will accomplish his purposes. No matter what happens in life, we should not be afraid. Now, of course, this is easier said than done. And therefore, we must surrender our will to God's might. God will be honored by every nation and throughout the world. If we will surrender our will and let God be in control, we will see that the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us and we will find refuge in him. Take refuge in the fortress of the Lord, the city of God, to find hope and the confidence in any situation that may come our way. In closing, it only makes sense that Martin Luther found such solace in the magnificent words of this song. And it is said that during the darkest and most discouraging periods of his life, Luther would often turn to his co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, something like that anyway. I have trouble with these words. And say, come, Philip, let us sing with enthusiasm the 46th Psalm. And so we took it from there and expanded on it. And that's what we sang there this morning. So we turn to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this great psalm. Thank you, Father, that you are our refuge, our fortress. Thank you that when we are still and know that you are God, that we feel that incredible peace come over us, the peace that passes all understanding. Father, we need that peace now in our hearts and that you are in our midst. Thank you, Father, for giving us this psalm to encourage us as we go forward in the days ahead. And Father God, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.